Sound Design. Why one a person make great sounding music, another doesn't, is uh, his listening skills. Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the show to help you build your career as a sound engineer and the home of the world's first online career coaching program optimized for audio professionals. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by Noam Gingold, the founder and CEO of Sound Gym. Noam, welcome to Sound Design Live. Hey, it's great to be here. So Noam, I want to talk to you about how sound engineers can become better sound engineers through ear training. But first of all, what's the best music for working on software development? I think classical music is usually very balanced. So uh, I use it a lot. The BC and the Ravel are uh, my favorites. Uh, and um, also uh, Mozart, <laughs> of course. Nice. Cool. And yeah. So Noam, um, this is a question that I like to ask everyone. How did you get your first job in audio? Well, um, I had a long way into the pro audio world. Um, I uh, learned psychology and philosophy at the university. I, I enjoyed it a lot, but when finishing the educational part, I figured out that uh, this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. Okay. And uh, then uh, making music uh, and become a much bigger part. Uh, I was uh, making it uh, many years before. I had uh, an home studio uh, from the tape age, the Fostex uh, four track uh, and the stuff like that. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, but then I took it uh, one step forward and uh, started uh, learning uh, more methodically um, the field. And I was really fascinating by, uh, by uh, modular synthesis and uh, sound design. Uh, Reactor particularly, I uh, started uh, building uh, my own tools with the Reactor. And my first job was uh, a teacher at the college uh, for uh, audio synthesis and okay, sound cool. design. So your first job was in synthesis and you're teaching at the university and then I'm sure you've done a lot of other things since then and I'm just curious looking back on your career now and looking at the things that you really enjoyed the most what do you think is one of the best decisions you made to get more of the work that you really love I think that um, focusing on uh, building my own tools with the reactor I uh, originally did it just to build a uh, and stuff that I want to do, you know, like uh, like instruments that I don't have, or uh, uh, but uh, apparently it's become uh, a big part of uh, what I'm doing for a living, and it is a very good way to uh, be involved in music and music making, and also have uh, a decent way to make a living. <laughs> nice, guess. yeah. So at some point you discovered that you really like building things. Uh, and those things were software. 
Yes, but I'm not a coder, so this uh, was a problem. Oh yeah, so uh, so yeah, tell me more <laughs> about that because it sounds like at some point there was a transition. You were doing teaching, sound design, composition, and then now you're in software development. So what changed? How did you do that? Reactor, SynthEdit, and SynthMaker are platforms that you don't have to uh, know how to code uh, to build the stuff that you want. Uh, so these are the tools that I, that I used. Uh, and I developed uh, the, the programmer mindset, I called it. And uh, now I work with programmers. I do not program uh, myself. Something is not, I, not, I do not program anything. But I have really good communications with the programmers because of this uh, programmer mindset that I developed while uh, building uh, stuff with the reactor. The, the, the switch... Uh, I, I'm still not a programmer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Reactor is my playground, you know. It's like a place when I can think of something uh, and uh, it can be really uh, amorphic. It sometimes takes years before I sit and then uh, make it happen. Okay, cool. Well, I, I want to get into Sound Gym, but before we do that, Noam, um, let's make a case for ear training. Why is it important? How will it improve my work and change my life? Listening skills are important. Um, we all love gear. We all, uh, these are our, our toys, you know, uh, compressors and mics and synths and everything. And at that age, I think that you can buy a different uh, gear at very low prices. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the main reasons one, why one a person makes great sounding music and another doesn't is uh, the, his listening skills. I believe that if you train um, separate skills, you can improve and improve uh, fast. Um, it's not if instead of mixing or uh, recording or making music, of course, uh, but mixing is complex. You know, mixing, when you mix, there are a lot of variables uh, that interact um, and you have to make intuitive uh, decisions. Sure. And we try to do the opposite. We try to break it into like sound atoms that you can train independently Mm -hmm. like frequency detection and uh, compression and uh, uh, stuff like that. And you can improve and know your abilities uh, at each field, get an objective feedback okay. about how good or how bad are you. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> and uh, later, when you mix, it's easier for you to make emotional decisions or intuitive decisions. Yeah, I like that. It, it sounds like you're saying that when you're an artist or you're working on art, you want to be in that intuitive space as much as possible, just doing your art. And so if you don't have to worry so much about the actual craft, um, about what am I hearing? What do I need to change with the EQ? What do I need to change with that? If all of that is just more intuitive and under your fingers, then you can just do a better job, basically. Yeah, you have to do things emotionally. Like when you mix, um, you have to set up everything, 
So when you fit to mix, you don't have to, uh, you know, like send uh, channels to groups or uh, uh, make order or things like that. You have to do it the day, day before. So when you mix, you have to be completely on this emotional state <laughs> um, and make things happen. Um, I think that when you are a student, so um, there is no other way but to mix less emotionally, okay? Um, but uh, later, I think it's the best way uh, to do it. And it's much easier to focus on specific uh, areas or specific skills and improve them and get feedback about it and then sit and mix and uh, see if it's um, your, making you a better mixer. You know, makes me think that if you have the knife sharper before you start, it'll be easier to cut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Noam, I think the skill I'm most interested in improving is troubleshooting. So let's get into Sound Gym by talking about what games I can use to improve my listening skills for troubleshooting and identifying different kinds of problems in audio and um, how those games work. Um, I think that something is all about troubleshooting, you know, like the, some of the games are uh, like, uh, we got the game named Peakmaster, uh, when um, there is a certain boost in the frequency range, and you have to detect where the boost is, okay? It's something that you uh, experience a lot of time when mixing, uh, too much low end, too much uh, low mid. I hate to use the EQ, you know, like to, to scroll around and uh, to find something. Mm -hmm. The way I like to do it is just to, to nail it <laughs> uh, the first time. Sure. And I think that uh, SoundGM can help you uh, very fast uh, improving uh, that skill, uh, for example. Okay. And it's also the same with uh, other games. Uh, some of them are uh, uh, introduce you like kind of a problem you know, that you have to fix. The answer is why does it sound like that? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So uh, troubleshooting is uh, sometimes an idea for a new game. <laughs> sure. tell, you, tell me what you want to troubleshoot and I will try to make a game that will... Uh, uh, you know, like focus on it. Right. So I see what you're saying. Like almost every game is a troubleshooting game because you have this idea in your head of what it should sound like. And then you enter the game is a problem is introduced and now you need to kind of find that problem, or at least that's one way to think about it. So in the case of peak master, there is an EQ boost somewhere and you have to figure out what it is. And so that is also part of troubleshooting. Um, so I guess if I were to invent a troubleshooting game, I would put together like all of the potential problems that we run into in live sound as, as live sound engineers. But I know you guys also have one that introduces different kinds of distortion, right? Right. It's the new one. It's the last game that we added. It's maybe it's a bit easier than other games. I'm also a teacher now, by the way. I got a, oh, what do you like teach? a boutique school. Uh, I got like a boutique school uh, here in uh, Israel. Oh, what's it called? Uh, it's called LFO. Okay. Uh, I teach uh, groups of uh, six uh, students at a class, uh, small classes. 
you will be surprised but many students can't hear clipping oh, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah it can uh, help them uh, doing that uh, many things that we take for granted when we work uh, at the, the, the field of uh, sound and audio uh, you forget that uh, starters don't hear it <laughs> you know like like my uh, a partner my coder um, at the beginning he didn't know what he's doing right <laughs> okay he just didn't know <laughs> what he's doing at all and uh, Now he knows to differentiate the uh, frequencies, you know, <laughs> you play uh, not bad. <laughs> wow, that's great. So yeah, you have these students that you're interacting with all the time. So you must be getting ideas from them like, oh, I just realized they can't hear clipping. So I need to make a game about that. A part of the things that uh, drive me to develop a game. And now we also have a great community uh, and we also get great ideas from, from them. But yeah, and now you're coming with the live sound uh, games. Uh, I'm not uh, coming from the live sound uh, field, so uh, <laughs> maybe you will have uh, some good ideas. You were talking about yeah. um, this community that you have and the users uh, recommending more games and, and features and things like that. So I know you guys just wrapped up your one-year anniversary, so congratulations. Um, any Thank new you. features that you can tell us about that you have planned for the next year? I think we will develop uh, more uh, compression games. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, many guys find it uh, struggling with uh, detecting compression and using a compression, uh, compressor. Uh, and we got some good ideas from users, actually, for a good compression game. Also, we will probably develop some games that are involve speed, like uh, you have to act uh, fast to, to uh, pass levels or something like that. Okay. Because many, many of your uh, uh, acts in the studio uh, have to, to be fast. Okay, you have to be fast and intuitive. Right. And right now, none of your games are timed, right? You can pretty much take as long as you want. Yes. Time-based games also uh, can uh, add a lot of adrenaline, gamify the environment. <laughs> We want it to be like a playground for music producers and sound engineers. Uh, we do not want it to be uh, very uh, serious and, uh, you know, like the... the Uh, 2D graphics that we use. It's almost the opposite of uh, anything that you find uh, popular today. Uh, all the 3D, uh, you know, like uh, plugins and uh, emulation. And we try to do something a bit less serious, um, engaging, uh, gamified, and educational at the same time. Uh, I think that you learn better uh, when you have fun. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. You know, none of us get into this industry because we want to make a lot of money or, um, I don't know, take over the world. We get into it because we really like to have fun playing music and, and doing art and working on shows and things like that. So when we develop a new game, you can have a good idea, but if it can't be gamified very well, 
We wondered. <laughs> we have a special surprise for the people listening to this interview. Um, earlier, we talked about how you would like to give away an annual subscription to the listeners of Sound Design Live, and we want to get some more people to check out Sound Gym. So if you are listening to this interview right now, um, I don't have a date for when it will begin and end, but if you go to sounddesignlive.com, uh, scroll to the bottom, there's a big search bar, search for Sound Gym, you'll find the show notes for this interview. Um, or if you're listening to it on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, I'll put a link to the giveaway in the show notes for this podcast. Go there, put in your email address, and then uh, we'll get one lucky winner, um, a free annual subscription to Sound Gym. Does that sound good, Noam? It sounds fantastic. Uh, I also want to say that we have a very generous a free forever plan for the basics. Uh, you don't have to pay uh, anything and you still got three games and the workout. Oh, that's great. You can just use those forever? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's free forever and we welcome both free and pro users. So uh, you are all invited. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Noam. Uh, where is the best place for people to follow your work online if they want to see what you're up to? I think the best uh, place at the moment is uh, our feed at uh, SoundGym uh, community. Everything is uh, first uh, going there. But of course, our Facebook page uh, and Twitter are also uh, good places. And if you want to listen to my music, it's, uh, it's called Gingold X. Whenever you find music on iTunes and Tidal and so on. Cool. Well, I'll definitely put a link to that uh, in the show notes so people can check it out. Great. All right, Noam. Well, thanks so much for coming on Sound Design Live. Thanks, Nathan. It was great being here. Sound Design. Live.